the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Boy, things are complicated when it comes to the way we gather information. I don't just mean news. I think, you know, you and I, John, are interested in news, but we're also interested in what the larger cultural conversations are so that we can kind of, you know, track how people are thinking, how they're communicating and the kinds of things that are important. Yeah. Okay. So when you um, decide to gather your news for the day mm-hmm. or your, you know, just information yeah, about what, threads. about what, yeah. How do you do that? Funny you bring this up because today for the first time, I couldn't tell you the last time I did this, I bought a Post-Gazette. Really? Yeah. I bought a Post-Gazette here at the Giant Eagle, and boy, did I enjoy it. I really, really enjoyed it. I sat like I used to. I still, like, like most people, I read a newspaper every day, oftentimes multiple newspapers every day forever, for decade after decade after decade. But then I lost it. I just The, the habit stopped. I started to go online for my news. Now, to be honest, the Post-Gazette site... Um, not really user-friendly. Yeah, and if anyone's listening to the Post-Gazette, I have tried twice to actually purchase a subscription and no one will call me back. So today I walked into the PG or the uh, Giant Eagle and saw, a, and I thought, oh, I'm going to get that. And, I, and you know what? How I gathered news and how I enjoyed that, I just loved it so much. Okay, so contrast that experience that you had reading the Post-Gazette mm-hmm. to being on Twitter. Uh, Twitter. Boy, I wonder what percentage of our audience uh, are, are Twitter users, because I find that people who use Twitter. Uh, it's a lot of people like us who use Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, a lot of journalists use Twitter. People in broadcast use Twitter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder how many, you know, sort of people who are not involved in that profession or business uh, are, are on Twitter on a mm-hmm. regular basis. Okay, so what's the difference Twitter's between getting your experience this morning on on uh, with holding the paper version of a Post Gazette versus a regular morning where you're on Twitter? Right. Uh, I like Twitter. I like Twitter because to me it feels as though it's a lot of smart, engaged people who have strong opinions and then oftentimes provide a link to what they're talking about so I can dive deeper into the conversation that they've started. However, then once a statement is made on Twitter, where it breaks down for me is the anger, the angry vitriol, right. the sort of back and forth. People essentially, you know, sort of, I mean, it, it gets profane and ugly pretty darn fast on Twitter, which is when I'll just back off and we'll move on someplace else. So my Twitter dive is not super deep, although I'm there throughout the day more often than not. I like it, but I hold it mm-hmm. at arm's length. That's smart. You? Um, I'm on Twitter every single day. and I, I, I'm, all, I'm always uh, consistently a part of Twitter. 
except in the last five days, and I've, I've shared this with our listening audience, and I've shared this with you personally, I, I've, it's starting to worry me. Twitter's really starting to worry me. And I read an article by Damon Linker. I want to thank Rebecca Weimer for sending it to me um, And uh, in the week. And this is he talked about the BuzzFeed article that came out last Thursday, which alleged that President Trump had suborned the perjury of his lawyer, Michael Cohen. You remember that story? Oh, yeah, sure. And the way that it was put out was if this actually is proven to be true, then what will it mean for the president? Oh. So it was printed without any indication that it was true. It was just an idea that, well, okay, well, what if it is true? And then all of a sudden it turns into this gigantic issue on Twitter. Right, right, And then Robert Mueller himself, the special counsel, his office has to come out and say, wait a minute, that's not true. I never said – we never said that. Oh, right. Okay? Okay, so that was a completely ridiculous storm that was based on zero facts. Well, was it ever? Okay, and, then, and it was a storm, too. Then Saturday morning comes the whole thing with the Covington Catholic white kids from Kentucky mm-hmm. and the Native mm-hmm. American guy on the drum and the black Hebrew Israelites and all of that, right? Which, you know, everyone hated the kid because he was a punk and he was smirking and wore the Make America Great Again hat, right? right? Until we all sat – Perhaps not all of us, but the three of a us of sat and watched a ton of video and realized it it wasn't at all like it seemed on Saturday morning. But that was post-mob right. because the mob had already descended on that poor kid, his family, the Catholic high school, the diocese, the whole thing. The diocese was piling on the kid. As it went his forward. own diocese was piling on the kid. Right. Okay. Before any could step back and say, wait a minute. Okay. What's this about? Yeah. Okay. Damon Linker in the week. He says this. Extreme partisan polarization is combining with the tech of social media, especially Twitter, to provoke a form of recurrent political madness, Hmm. particularly among members of the country's cultural and intellectual elite. And that madness, which we saw Thursday and that we saw Saturday and we've talked about on the show this week, is pushing the country toward what he calls a dangerously illiberal form of of politics. Whoa, whoa. Okay, now I love this too. Same article. What Twitter shows us in real time is the real-time ultrasound of the souls of America's cultural and intellectual elite. Okay, the souls of our elite. Twitter is revealing mm-hmm. to us what the souls of our cultural elite really look like. Right. The people in charge of disseminating knowledge and who take the lead in organizing political action in our society. The picture it reveals is often ugly, vulgar, shrill and intolerant with souls exhibiting an incapacity to deliberate weigh evidence and judge judiciously. They display an impulsiveness and unhinged rage at political enemies that is incompatible with reasoned thinking about how we might go about governing ourselves, heal the division in our country, and avoid a collapse into civic violence that could usher in tyranny. What do you think? I mean... That's spot on. That is... I mean, but we've talked about the idea of a culture. We are truly, in many ways, in the deep bowels of a cultural civil war. There's no doubt about that. The the left and the right, they are firing cannons of mm-hmm. vitriol and um, what propaganda in many and instances. And often that vitriol and propaganda is truly propaganda. It's not based on actual fact, which is why the whole thing is descending into absurdity. Exactly. I mean, that people piling on that kid from that Catholic school is one of the most absurd and disturbing things I've seen. Yeah. 
I agree. I mean, what in the world? He also says this in the article. Too little attention has been paid to what may be the most potent facet of the social media platform, its ability to feed the vanity of its users. Mm -hmm. Twitter puts every tweeter on a massive stage with the nastiest put downs, insults and provocations, often receiving the most applause. That's a huge psychological incentive to escalate the denunciation of political enemies. The more one expresses outrage at the evil of others, the more one gets to enjoy the adulation of the virtual mob. How often have we seen that? Uh, Time and time again, especially this week, right? So, but I wonder about this. As as I pull away, because uh, it's like anything, it's sort of like feeding at the fire hydrant. There's so much there and it becomes so overwhelming that eventually I need to shut it off. And when I'm tempted to go on there, I'll go, no, I don't need that. I really don't need that. So I wonder, for most people, what percentage of people are feeding on Twitter on a regular basis? Right. It's, you know, the the the, the articles talking about a cultural elite, not right, written, but talking about journalists, broadcasters, writers, right. influencers, uh, com- right, influencers, commenters. Uh, so all of those people are for sure always 100 percent Twitter users yep. because you can't really have that job if you're you can't have our job if you're not willing to enter into Twitter. Yeah. Right. And at its best. It's fabulous. For information gathering, oh, it's man. really great, except that's why I started to worry this weekend, because the information I was getting was not actual information. No. And when it, the, the truth, or at least the truth that was disseminated at the moment, was revealed, those who had made those spurious charges never came back and said, yeah, let me self-correct that. The Washington Post, which is a... a, a a denizen of you know newspaper journalism historically in our country, they came out and reported that story incorrectly yep. ab- about the whole thing about the Catholic school kid and the Indian and the black black Hebrew Israelites. Israelites. Then when they started reporting it over the weekend, this is what really bothered me. Instead of saying, "Wow, sorry, mea culpa, we got this wrong. Now that we have more information, here's what actually happened," they started reporting this way. They started saying. Well, something interesting's happening. Now there's another conversation about perhaps another video and blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So there, were, there was no acknowledgement that they're the ones that put the wrong story out. Right, yeah. They became third person. Right. All of a sudden, they're just you know pulling back and just observing this cultural milieu like they didn't have any stake in causing all the whole thing to happen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so take some journalistic responsibility. I mean, now, you know, whenever the, um, the whole uh, PA grand jury Catholic uh, sex abuse report came out this past August, Twitter was fabulous because so many yeah. people who were not engaged with Twitter. I mean, a lot of Catholic priests here locally and across the country – jumped on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And man, you've got such great insight. And I still do. Yeah. You still get that Catholic section yeah, yeah, at the yeah. bottom of your Twitter. Love it. I, I think it's really good for me to yeah. read that. So for anybody see what in, people are saying. If you if you know if whatever your sort of, you know, nugget that you're, you know, that you're passionate about, you can find that space. I mean, yesterday we had a guy Esau, Esau Macaulay on our show who talked about black Twitter and the conversation goes uh, goes forward amongst African Americans, which we as white Americans, we know nothing mm-hmm. about. And so you can find these threads of information that are so valuable that you wouldn't find, you know, in, in the Post-Gazette or the New York Times or wherever your news source is, because it goes right to the source. But it can also be a double-edged sword and that it's used against it and disseminates horrific, 
ugly vitriol like the Washington Post, and then there's no self-correcting or editing like like major news organizations used to do on a daily basis. And as much as we have eschewed from the very beginning fake news, I'm starting to buy into it. Oh, I am 100% on board with fake news. Believe me, the president has been round, roundly mocked for the hashtag fake news. But there is no doubt it exists in spades in this country. There's no doubt about it. Last point. More and more, this is David Linker, the venom has been bleeding into the real world. Yeah. And this is where my concern comes in, with boycotts, with firings, with death threats, and groveling apologies offered only to placate mobs that are wielding digital pitchforks. It increasingly feels like it's just a matter of time before real-world violence breaks out in response to an online conflagration. Yeah, no doubt about that. So as believers – How do we – do, do we just leave it? No, no, no. I think there's a great space for committed believers on Twitter. A great space. I mean, you can reveal your heart on Twitter. I mean, the, the, you know, what's interesting is the people who, you know, like um, what? Um, Drew Dick. No. Um, Kevin Hart. Oh, when he one of the te- people who was trying to placate the digital mob, right. like Damon Linker's talking about. So then, then you go back, the, the, the mob will go back and look at your thread. If you are a committed believer and if you are walking in the light of Christ and, and showing that on your Twitter feed, I mean, as people want to go back and look at you and discover you and they see that, they go, oh, I see something there that's, okay. uh, that's not of this world. I brought up Drew Dick because he's someone that both – he's a regular guest on our show, someone we really enjoy on Twitter, right? right? So he's someone that's doing it we the right way. We love I mean, there's a lot of people. We, I love Karen Swallow Pryor on Twitter. Um, I love John Pithoritz on Twitter. Yeah. I love Ben Shapiro on Twitter um, for different reasons, each one of those people. However, isn't it concerning that there are just a small number that we really like – and the vast majority of what I saw between Saturday and Sunday night was just the ugly. Mob. It was just ugly. Yeah, I agree. Well, I don't despair. I don't despair because there are many wonderful people out there still with great hearts. And the truth will always find its way. So if you go on Twitter, let the buyer beware. But if you're so inclined, speak the truth in love. It'll find its path. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flint with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com